Welcome to Homestead Story. We're Peter and Kristen. Join us as we share a new but old kind of family life. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Homestead Story. We are coming to you from our Maryland homestead on a cold January morning. Yes, this is our first winter with cows. We got our cows back in the spring, so we're learning a lot. My goal this winter was to get good at cheese making, so I finally... Yeah, well, we feel like you have to be a cheesemaker if you have a dairy cow. Yeah, we get two gallons of milk a day, and I do not... It's good, high-quality, grass-fed milk, and I do not want that to be wasted, so I really wanted to get good at cheesemaking, and my mozzarella, the first, I don't know, 10 times, was very rubbery. Yeah, but it was. <laughs> it literally squeaked. It was like you were eating a rubber band. <laughs> when you ate it, <laughs> it was really hard to pretend like you know we like we liked it. But I finally, I think, I think I realized I was stretching it too much, and I've mastered it, and I'm doing really well with mozzarella. And yeah, mozzarella is one of the cheeses that you can you can make it in like a half hour. Yeah, a, I think most cheeses need to need to age for. A while. Yeah, so I've, this winter I've learned how to make soft cheese, like cream cheeses and the mozzarella. So next will hopefully be hard cheeses. <laughs> yeah, they're a little more intimidating. It's a lot more complicated. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll be doing it. Yeah, the like end goal would be to be able to make wheels of Parmesan. Yeah, the easiest thing is butter. I When I say that I make butter, a lot of my friends are like, how do you do that? How do you have the time? And I'm like, it literally takes about... Four minutes. Right. <laughs> Just and I don't. Thank you, blender. Somebody asked me if I use a blender, uh, a butter churn, and I'm like, no, I do not churn butter with a butter churn. I put the cream in the blender, and and I got really good butter. Yeah. Although if I found the butter churn online or, or you know Craigslist or something, I think I might have to buy it because have it just sit in the house. We could try it every once in a while. <laughs> Traditional yeah. butter. Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing we were doing is. I built a fence to fence in my winter cow area. Yeah. So, you know, this is obvious to me now, but another thing I never knew till till going through it. But in the spring, summer, fall, all of the the trees and grasses are constantly putting the moisture that falls back into the atmosphere through photosynthesis. And uh, in the winter, that doesn't really happen because they've all gone dormant. So everything can get very wet a lot longer. Like it doesn't dry up nearly as fast. And we don't have a ton of pasture here, so if I let the cows on it all winter, on the especially on the really wet days, they'd tear it to pieces. Yeah, we don't want our farm to turn into a mud pit, so... Right, so we have an area now, it's still pretty big, it's probably like a quarter acre, but they're fenced in, and then on the really yucky days, I can just keep them in that, and they'll, they'll eat hay. Yeah, when it's really muddy out, it's a good place to have them. Right, and then the rest of the time, they still get out to the pasture. And yeah, it was grass. really funny because we also keep big mulch piles there. Yeah, and when we put them in there, they were just running up these mulch piles. Yeah, and like playing in the mulch piles. Yeah, cows love mulch piles. <laughs> Who knew? I don't. <laughs> yeah, there's a tree guy comes and he he um he dumps some wood chips for us. We use it for all kinds of stuff and. Yeah, the cows saw that, and they were they were running up the hill and bucking. And I know that was really funny to see these huge cows <laughs> playing in this mulch, huge mulch pile. So our chickens are also doing really well in the winter. We haven't lost a chicken yet to the cold weather. We keep our chickens in the barn, and they cuddle up and keep warm. Last winter was our first winter with chickens, and I was <laughs> thought it was funny because Pete spent like hours putting a heater into their yeah, chicken. I had this electric rated <laughs> heater and I was like, I'm going to put this in there. And, and I was and like, I 
I think they'll be okay. I don't know if this is, a ne- is necessary. Yeah, so I went out there one day and I was doing this and it was like frigid cold. <laughs> I think I was just getting real cooped up and then I got so angry because like, my fingers weren't working. Your trying fingers? To, trying to do the electric. Because oh, it was so they're, freezing? They're so cold. Yeah. And then, and then Kristen's like, why are you doing that? I was like... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, you were afraid they would die, free, or that they, they have, would freeze yeah, to death, but they they're fine. They have chickens fine. up in Canada, and they're okay. Uh, well, yeah, I was like, I, I don't think this is a problem there. Yeah. And so we've never out, used the heater. At least the kinds we have are totally fine in the winter. Yeah, ours are kind of, we got kind of more cold-hardy breeds, so yeah. they're fine. We, we have you Is that heater still <laughs> in like, there? You just don't turn like it on? textbook definition of getting stressed out about something that doesn't matter. Yeah, but have you used that? We've never used that no, heater. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm like, laughs> serves no purpose. I was like, I don't think they won't heat blowing on them so yeah lesson learned you know <laughs> there's there's plenty of things that we're trying to figure out for the first time here yes yeah. right so our topic today is going to be talking about how technology fits into our homestead and into our family life and into culture and some of the issues that get brought up with technology. I know when I was thinking about like wanting to, to get back to a lot more traditional things in life, I started really wrestling with this question of, I see technology doing many bad things what's good about technology and what's bad and why. And I really started just wondering about that. Yeah. So first off, I want to say we are not against technology. Pete is a software developer and we could not do what we're doing without his job. Yeah, clearly we're doing a podcast. And we're doing a podcast. We are not Luddites. Yeah, which is? Yeah, that Luddite is against all technology. Okay. We're not a Luddite. Yeah. So... Yeah, we are thankful that you all have technology and you're listening to our podcast. So we we're not ex- we're not extreme people in any way. Um, a friend of mine said you guys should have a reality TV show, and I'm like, we're so boring. We don't do anything extreme. We're very normal. Yeah, so. no drama here. Yeah, <laughs> well, sometimes, but um, yeah. So so human beings have been around for millennia. I mean, just I don't I don't know how long, but human beings have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it's only within the last couple hundred years that the whole societal upheaval and change has happened through all of these, you know, industrial revolutions and digital revolutions and, and, and the amount of change that's occurred among us as people has been extreme. And it's, it's this little blip on the, the history of human beings. And I just think that it's one of the, the big tasks of our generations to learn how to cope with that, how to, how to learn how to like, how do we responsibly deal with this massive amount of change that's happening all at once? Right. And for us, this podcast is not just about homesteading and our life is not just about the food that we are getting from the land. We're always kind of asking the deeper meaning of why we're doing what we're doing. And we're always evaluating culture and asking ourselves, is this something that we want to be a part of? Is this is this good for us or is this bad for us? We don't want to just go along with culture. We want to be constantly question questioning it. And but all this does circle back to homesteading because mm-hmm. because that for us becomes a big part of the answer, right? Um, for how as a family we're dealing with technology, right? And I think different families, you know, will have different answers. It's not homesteading for everyone, but that's what it is for us. So one of the obvious conclusions that we've come to about technology is just that it's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, very powerful. And not to be trite, but with great power comes great responsibility. And 
the power of technology exerts itself over our brains and in our relationships and for sure how we spend our time and its impact on the environment and its impact on cultural traditions and all kinds of stuff. It's just very, very powerful. And so I think that can either be good or bad. And so we're trying to evaluate when is it bad? When is this actually tearing down our family life or just wasting time or contributing to bad habits and things like that so that we can not do it that way. Right. So I'm going to talk about, I'm really interested in the brain. I, I love learning about the brain. I love learning and I love when there's not, I, I'm so happy that I'm finished with school and there's no pressure of writing papers or getting grades and I can just learn for the fun of learning. And I'm fascinated with the brain and I spent about a year and my a year and a half of my life, just really reading everything I could read and learning everything I could about the brain, and it's fascinating to me. And one thing to understand about the way the brain works is there's a saying that was coined by David Hebb. He was a neuropsychologist, and he coined this phrase in 1949 that neurons in the brain that fire together wire together. And what that means is right. So what fires together wires together. Yes. And what that means is that's really for our survival. Like when you learn how to tie your shoe and you're activating those neurons together, they wire together so you can just tie your shoe without thinking about it. Or you can ride a bike without thinking about it. Those neurons are wired together because you're firing them at the same time. So the brain's automating the things that we do all the time. Right. And just making them automatic. So let's say you have a phone and you're bored or you're lonely or you're stressed out and you check your phone. All of a sudden, the brain is going to start wiring those things together because they're firing. At the, those neurons are firing at the same time. So, boredom, or stress, or loneliness is getting wired with check your phone. So then, every time you feel bored, or anytime you feel lonely, or anytime you feel stressed, your brain is just going to want to check your phone, and a habit is formed, and an addiction is formed, and that can be so powerful. Um, so I started to notice because I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm really extroverted, and I just I had an iPhone, and I started to notice that any time I started to feel um, bored or, or yeah, lonely, I would check my phone. And that, for me, started to become just this habit. And I was checking my phone just very often, a lot more than I wanted to. And I was... Or even to the point that the kids were like, Mommy, stop checking your phone. Well, right? I told them. I was like, boys, if I check... My, I wanted to keep it in, in check. So I was like, if I'm looking at my phone too much, just say, Mommy, I'm more important than your phone. And then, of course, that would make me feel really guilty and I wouldn't look at it. Yeah. And I was noticing they were saying that a lot more often than I, than I wanted to hear that. And for me, I realized that it was just too powerful for me and I had to get rid of my phone. And I bought the junkiest phone, like a flip phone that nobody has anymore. And I'm a big texter. I just, it was funny because it cost more. It cost it was... more to get it, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a big texter and I realized like I got it and I was like, okay, I'm going to have my new phone. And I started texting and I had to like literally type out every letter, like hitting it three times. And I was just like, what have I done? I can't. And, um, and then people will send me texts and they have all these like what are those things? Emoji things. Yeah. And I can't, I get just get little boxes. So I'm like, I don't know what you're sending me. My phone, like <laughs> it's about to die when I'm on a mass text. So I thought, you know, you think when you have your iPhone, you think I'm spending a lot less time texting because I can do it so fast. But since you can do it so fast, you're doing it a lot more. So I'm actually texting. I don't really text people that much anymore because it's so much effort. And I will say getting rid of my 
iPhone. At first it was some adjusting, but my mind is so much more clear and uncluttered. And when I'm outside, I'm outside. And when I'm, I'm so much, I'm able to focus on the moment. And now I don't, I don't want to go back. And I will say, so I don't think iPhones or, you know, smartphones or whatever are evil or terrible. Pete has one. Yeah, I have one. And I listen to podcasts every day on my drive. Yeah, it's so great for Pete. So that's why you have to kind of judge for yourself. There's no black and white, good or bad in this situation. Like Pete, he, this phone is not a temptation for him. He can use it just for the good. Yeah. He listens to podcasts. He listens to Pandora and I've never once felt. So when you get home, you don't even know, you put it down. You don't even know where it is. You don't, it's just not a temptation. You don't care about apps or checking it. Uh, Pete's the opposite of me. I'm like so relational and I'm always wanting to text and connect with Pete. For Pete, if you get a text, I'm like, uh, you, you probably want to text this person back. You're going to hurt their feelings. Yeah, I, I think I annoy Can him. I text them for you? Yeah, you really should email yes, this person please. back. Text them <laughs> Tell for me, me what to say and I'll text it for you. <laughs> Sorry to break that to everyone. A lot of times if you get a text from Pete, it's actually from me. Yeah. I try not Sorry. to do so many exclamation points because... Right. I'd be like, Kristen, I would never use that many exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I've never felt annoyed at Pete using his phone because you just don't ever use it. So it's a great... Yeah. You use it for the good and then... You come home and you don't even know where it is. You have it off. Can never get a hold of you. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I understand. I understand these kinds of temptations for sure. I mean, I you know, back in college, I'd play video games for hours and hours and hours, and and just feel like, what did I do with my with my day afterwards? <laughs> I mean, I could definitely be drawn into this kind of thing in a different situation for right. sure. Yeah, and just because I don't text or or get caught up in social media doesn't mean that I don't have different struggles. I can get really drawn into different news articles and feeling like I have to be concerned about all these headlines that are coming out and yeah I don't do it perfectly either I I mean I got rid of my phone but I still have a computer and I still have you know social media that can draw me in and the point is that we don't do it perfectly but we at least try to be aware and we try to make steps to yeah. not let it right I mean there's going to be this this is not not going away this is going to be a lifelong battle that we have to fight and learn how to handle in a balanced way yeah exactly so it's going to be powerful for some people and not as powerful for other people, but you have to understand there is a great addiction, a great power to it. And one thing I realized too is when your brain is wired to get constant stimulation, like say you it's you constantly are reading a really cool article or seeing really cool pictures or watching a really cool YouTube video, your brain all of a sudden starts to literally change and get wired to new, new, new and fresh. I want new information. Like I want to constantly see something exciting. And so when you're with a person, that person can, can't, cannot possibly fill that need in your brain that they can't feed that addiction. So being with a person can become uncomfortable because that person can't update you constantly and excite you and do a cool, funny thing for you, entertain you at all moments. And I didn't want that to happen to my relationships. I, I wanted to be able to enjoy my relationships for what they were. And I didn't want to have this constant addiction to new and exciting things. Right. And there, like Kristen said, there's no black and white about this. It's, it's really so much of this is in the gray and it's different for every person, but it's also, it's also time to be honest about it. Like Mm -hmm. what is this doing to us as people and as a culture? And, and one of the real dangers of all of this digital media is that our thought life and our relationships can just be skidding along the surface constantly. Right. We're never actually getting into the deeper areas. Right. And um, Yeah, and I think we have to understand that this is a powerful addiction. Right. So 
I went to uh, we went to an Orioles game this past season. We usually go to a couple of them every year. I we really like the Orioles, and to this day, I remember going with my family as a kid and going out into the stadium for the first time. And just you walk out into the stadium, and it's just this incredible feeling of of seeing space and people everywhere and then everybody's cheering for the same team and yelling at the umpires when they do something you don't like and it's a really neat experience and so we went this past year and I just noticed that that so in my estimation we were in the upper deck Kristen doesn't like being in the lower deck I'm afraid I'm gonna get killed by a yeah. A ball. (laughs) So so we sit really far away but so I'm looking down at, at thousands and thousands of people and it was my estimation um, that like 30 or 40 percent of the people had their phone out the whole time. I mean, the entire time. Not I like I check a, it once or twice, but that's the whole a modest time. estimation. It felt like it was a lot more than yeah. that. It was, it was like kind of troubling because it's like, this is so neat. Like, we are here with the Orioles, and it felt like it felt like a lot of people were sort of there and then sort of not there. It's just on digital media. They the were whole there time. in body, but not in mentally or emotionally. Right. And it was just, it was like a red flag, like, man, what's going on with us? Yeah. Well, I actually, that game, I had a, a eye-opening realization, too. So we were sitting, it's stadium seating, so there were two girls sitting in front of us, two college-age girls, and they were right in front of us. But the seats, you know, they kind of get lower, so you can, you can see the people really easily. And so I'm kind of watching these girls in front of me, and I don't think they said a word to each other the entire time. They were on their phones the whole time. And at one point, I happened to look down, and one of the girls, she took a picture of herself at the Orioles game. And this girl, she was she was a pretty girl, but very normal-looking. I think all girls are pretty. So she was a very normal-looking girl. And this picture that she took of herself, the way that the phone made her, I don't know, the filter that she used or whatever, she seriously looked in this picture like a supermodel. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what you know the pictures can do now. So she looks like she takes a picture of herself at the Orioles game, looks like a supermodel, puts it up on social media. And I was thinking about it and I was like, so everyone who's seeing this picture of her, you know, her 500 friends, it looks like she looks perfect and she's at an Orioles game and she's having so much fun. And I was realizing, wow, I'm here. And that's just not reality. She looks like a normal girl. She hasn't said a word to her friend. She doesn't even look like she's having fun. And she hasn't even watched the game. Right. And it's amazing how, you know, everyone who can see that might, you know, be jealous or think, oh, I wish, you know, I looked like that. And I wish I was at a game with my friend and I was having fun. And it's just so often what we're seeing is not reality. Yeah. When we see things and hear things and read things, we think they're true. I mean, that's how we operate as human beings. And so much of what we're seeing is just an image. It's, it's a facade. Mm-hmm. And then how much mental unrest is that causing us? Because we look in the mirror and we know what our normal day is. And then we compare it to this non-reality world. And it's causing us a lot of mental and emotional pain, I think, unnecessarily. Right. So I have a paragraph here from Pope Francis, and it's a little bit long, and it's worth it. You, mm-hmm. y- he says this better than I think anybody could, and this is from Laudato Si, um, which I think is how you say it. Because we we're looked, still learning. How we to looked up the friar, it. and that's how he said it. <laughs> but I was like, what if he has an accent or something? And now Laudato we're doing an accent si. that we that we don't actually have. Yeah. So here it is. Okay. Ready? <laughs> this is worth it. Furthermore, when media and the digital world become omnipresent, their influence can stop people from learning how to live wisely, to think deeply, and to love generously. 
In this context, the great sages of the past run the risk of going unheard amid the noise and distractions of an information overload. Efforts need to be made to help these media become sources of new cultural progress for humanity and not a threat to our deepest riches. True wisdom as the fruit of self-examination, dialogue, and generous encounter between persons is not acquired by mere accumulation of data, which eventually leads to overload and confusion, a sort of mental pollution. Real relationships with others and with the challenges they entail now tend to be replaced by a type of internet communication, which enables us to choose or eliminate relationships at whim, thus giving rise to a new type of contrived emotion, which has much more to do with devices and displays than other people and with nature. Today's media do enable us to communicate and to share our knowledge and affections, yet at times they also shield us from the direct contact with the pain and the fears and the joys of others and the complexity of their personal experiences. For this reason, we should be concerned that alongside the exciting possibilities offered by these media, a deep and melancholic a deep and melancholic dissatisfaction with interpersonal relations or a harmful sense of isolation can also arise. Wow. There's so much in there. <laughs> That's Right. Well, so I mean Pope Francis says the efforts efforts need to to be made to help these media media become sources of new cultural progress. So he's saying that these media can be a really good thing. They can help us. Like there's power there for the good. But that is a real cautionary way of looking at it, that they can also lead to a, to a deep sense of, of melancholy as well. Yeah. Well, I like when he talks about mental pollution, can cause a mental pollution. When I got rid of my phone, I really felt that's exactly what I would describe. I felt a clarity of mind and like a peace and an ability to focus on the slow things. And, um, and it wasn't cluttered. My mind was so cluttered before because I was always trying to, I was, you know, I'd scroll through Facebook and reading what article someone posted or what video someone posted or the pictures that they posted. And it just became clutter of the mind. Right, right. And I mean, we feel really strongly about this too, because we're the first generation of parents that are being thrown into this new world and, and we're not going to do it right. I mean, we are, every single person who deals with this is going to do it wrong. And we're, we're just trying to find that balance and, and we feel really called to it too, because we're going to try and set a foundation for how our kids are going to enter into this as well. Right. Well, I think, so our children's brains are being wired. They're right now they're being wired so quickly because they're learning like how to speak and, you know, things like that. And one thing that I think was really beneficial for me as a parent was there's so much like high paced, cool stuff for kids. That's, and, and I didn't want my kids to really see that because I didn't want that to be the standard. I didn't want that to be what was wiring their brain. So I wanted their brain to be wired to more slow things like reading books and um, instead of the fast-paced computer games and things like that. And there's this one computer program that I let them use that is so slow and boring, but it teaches my kids really well. My oldest son is a natural reader, and this is not to stress any parent out. Every kid has their own strengths and weaknesses. But he taught himself how to read when he was four by this very slow and boring computer program. But I think most kids wouldn't really want to do this program because their brains are wired to really cool stimulation. And that's one thing that I've tried to not let my kids see. And it's been really helpful, I right. think. And there's, there's both sides of it. I mean, he learned how to read using technology. Yeah, exactly. How awesome is that? I, I actually, so we are, again, we're not against technology. I could not homeschool without technology. I use computer programs and, and technology for a lot of our school. Right. Um, but anyway, back to Pope Francis. I, I also want to point out how he said the media 
can lead to a, a deep and melancholic dissatisfaction with our interpersonal relations. And I, I think that was just what I was saying. You know, it's hard to sit with a person and talk to a person who cannot entertain you and keep your brain as wired for constant updates. Um, right. Absolutely. So, so if we look at how humanity existed for millennia and millennia before all of this, I think what we find is that we were in in contact, in real contact with each other all the time, every day, and in real contact with nature all the time, every day. So that's going to bring us full circle now to why homesteading fits into this. And there's different ways of doing it, but what we found is that that technology and its power can be leading us in one direction. Mm -hmm. But when we come back to homesteading and we're doing all of these different activities from making cheese to taking care of the animals to growing flowers and growing fruit is that we're, we, we are becoming in constant daily contact with nature. And that is so peaceful. I mean, it's the opposite of some kind of like blog type searching or Facebook or something where it's new, 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 different, mm-hmm. different, different, entertain me, you know, satisfy me. I'm out there and it's peaceful yeah. and there's birds singing and there's rain falling and everything is happening in this much more steady, um, really peaceful way. And the concern is that if, if your brain is wired for constant change and constant updating, you miss out on the the slow beauty of nature, and that brings such a peace. Right. Yeah, so I go down there with the boys to the barn. We've talked about that, and we take walks all around the farm. And one thing I'm constantly doing with them is, all right, we're out, you know, and we're chatting, and we're doing lots of different stuff, and it's like, let's slow down. Everybody be quiet. Let's just listen to what's happening. You know, and we we stop and we listen, and we're just looking around observing, and it's, it's a way of letting nature and letting life present itself to us as opposed to, to constantly trying to, to be making our place in it. And I'm, I'm noticing as a 36-year-old, like I'm noticing more things than I've ever noticed before. And uh, one of the analogies is that every artist would know this, but, but part of an artist's identity is put into their art. If you're a musician or a painter or whatever, you're expressing yourself through your artwork. Part of your identity goes into that. And we're walking around our property and we're, we're out among nature. And I'm finding that the creator has expressed himself mm. so much. His identity is expressed so much in his artwork. And just by experiencing nature, we're starting to experience this incredible artwork that the creator has has put out there for us to be a part of and and it's really magnificent. And it's like he's speaking to us every day just through his artwork. You know, we're experiencing him every day through the beauty of the flowers and the the change of the seasons and it's really it's like you're witnessing a miracle of beauty every day. <laughs> right. There's a quote from the Japanese bishops that's in Laudato Si, and it goes like this, to sense each creature singing the hymn of its existence is to live joyfully in God's love and hope. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so beautiful. It's like to sense each creature singing the hymn of its existence is to live joyfully in God's love and hope. And for so long, my mind has been conditioned to ignore all of this stuff. And I love starting to get into I want to sense the hymn of each creature's existence, the yeah. flowers and the trees and the birds and everything else that's around yeah, me. Yeah, and, and what a tragedy 
it, it is for us to miss out on this, to miss out on the creator speaking to us right. because we're looking at our phones. Right. <laughs> and so another neat idea about this is that if we go back to the Genesis account in, in scripture, we see that Adam and Eve were initially put into the Garden of Eden. And so we call our farm a homestead and we call our, you know, that communicates a lot of information. But when Kristen and I are talking about and talking about what we're really trying to accomplish here, we're always talking about this as a garden. Mm -hmm. Like, like garden communicates a few more things. And one of the main things it communicates is that there's this beauty and order around us in the midst of nature. Mm -hmm. And that's a goal that we're really going for. And and the original form of prayer is going to be Adam and Eve walking in the garden and just mm-hmm. experiencing what is there before them. And mm-hmm. um, and that's what I find is that being out here doing this kind of work is that I'm even drawn to prayer just naturally. Yeah, right. that, that's what my mind starts to do without any effort at all being in the garden. Yeah, totally. I, I actually had an experience recently. I took my journal and I had a backpack and I went into the woods because we back to, we have four, we have about, we have a couple acres of forest that backs to just endless parkland. And so I I got a backpack and brought my journal and my big, huge farm guardian dog. And I went hiking in the woods down to the lake and I sat there with my dog just laying by my side and I was looking around, um, sitting at the edge of the lake and the trees were just so huge and the lake was so beautiful and the air was just so fresh and clean and you know I just sat there just taking it all in and just experiencing God and prayer and I was realizing if I had my phone I might be tempted to take some really cool picture with my dog and my journal and the lake and have a really cool quote about prayer and nature and I would miss out on the moment because my brain would become cluttered with I wonder who's liking my picture. I wonder who's commenting on it. I should respond to this comment. But instead, I didn't have any of that. I had just clarity of mind to really embrace the moment. And I I feel like I won't ever forget that moment of prayer. Absolutely. It was, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, there's lots of different ways of doing this, of getting back to, to more, to reality, back to real relationships and to real encounters with, with nature. But what's neat about homesteading is that... Um, we don't have to go somewhere to do that. I mean, that's one of the real benefits is, of this is that every time I walk out my door, it's happening. Even when I look out my window mm-hmm. is that this is the soil that we're planted in now. And this is the soil that my kids are planted in is that we don't have to somehow incorporate this into our life. It is our life. It's right. just what we do every day. Right. And I think it's really providing some of that balance when we live in this crazy new world where, where there's something novel Every time you turn around, that's being put in front of you, and you're, you're trying to figure out what to do about it. Is it's balancing that because the rest of life is still lived in this slow pace of breeze and growing and and you know that yeah. kind of thing. And I think getting it's almost like you have to rewire your brain. Like so, when I would walk around the garden, when I had my phone, it was still like I could be walking around the garden and still checking my phone. Because my it's and it wasn't my fault. It's just that's my brain was wired. Like okay, I need a new update. I need something exciting, and it takes some time to kind of rewire your brain to be able to enjoy the slow and the you know the the beauty. And it takes some time and some work. But once it is kind of wired for that, you can enjoy it, and it can bring such a peace. 
Absolutely. And, and we always, we always hear this, you know, God speaks in the silence. And I wonder how much of us are missing God speaking to our hearts because we just are so uncomfortable with the silence and we want to fill it with noise. Right. Yeah. I I remember hearing that we, we, you know, we both grew up in Christian circles. So we go to retreats and hear lots of different talks and people would say, you know, God speaks in nature. And I, I was like, yeah, I mean, I've been out on, 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 you know, the shore overlooking the ocean before. And it's like, you, you feel the expanse and it's like, wow, God's in nature, but almost like it's, it happens once a year when you're on vacation or something. And, but God really does speak in nature mm-hmm. and daily. I mean, absolutely daily. And it's not just that he's speaking. It's not just that we can experience God in nature, but it's like, we are, we are in the setting that we were created for. And the mm-hmm. setting that we lived in for, for countless millennia is that this is how we work as, as human beings. This is how we function properly is in this context. And I don't want to remove myself entirely from it. Right, right. So again, we do not think technology is bad, but we think it's important for each person to really stop, not just go along with culture, not just go along with trends, but to stop and really ask yourself honestly, is this benefiting my life? Is this enriching my relationships? Is this adding mental clutter to my life? And it's going to look different for each person. It's going to look very different for someone like Pete than it is for someone like myself. Yeah, this is not a call to anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I need to change a whole bunch of stuff about my life. It's really just, let's acknowledge the obvious. We need to be honest about this and the effect it's having on our life and then peacefully try to start to transition to a way that's going to be beneficial for us to live in this new society. I mean, this is the great challenge of our generations is how do we exist in the midst of all of this and yet remain human and and remain and keep the best parts of us. Right, exactly. Well, I think that is it for today. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider going to iTunes and leaving us a review so that other people who are interested in this kind of conversation can find us more easily. And if you don't enjoy this podcast, just feel free to stop listening. Yes, you do not have to listen. (laughs) Um, Also, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at homesteadstory at gmail.com. So we hope you have a great week and we'll talk with you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.